Good. We are, after having had a brief break for over Easter, um, we are back in our, our series on Psalms. If you've been tracking along with me about two Psalms a, a day, you would be about a third of the way through the book. So uh, I wonder who's, who's finding themselves in about that place? Any? Yeah, yeah. Um, any reflections as we continue to work through this? I won't ask this every week. I realize I have every time, but I won't. But just any, any reflections on the experiences as we continue working through Psalms? Any, any thoughts you want to share? Yeah, Jenny. Absolutely. So just finding the, the joy in even, even the dark psalms, that there's, by the end, there, there's a focus again on God and just the, the wonderfulness of knowing that God is with us, um, even in, through all things. So, I, I, yeah, Jenny, thank you for sharing that. I don't think I need to now. We'll just next song, you know. Uh, but, you know, absolutely great, Jenny. Any, anyone else? One of the things that I've noticed about my, for myself is, is less about the Psalms, but just about the, the practice of doing it. I find Saturdays are the day that I typically miss, because Saturdays are the day that I don't have structure and routine, where, where all those other days uh, I notice it's much easier to, to be in the Word regularly and to be, to be reading. Um, and so, yeah, Saturdays, Easter Monday was another one, you know, just... Just realizing how how I work and 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 practicing the, the discipline of, of reading the word consistently. One of the other things, though, that has been standing out to me in reading the Psalms is this repeated idea uh, that God has brought the psalmist to a broad place or a, a spacious place, a, a, an open place, and. Um, and there's something about this phrase that just resonates with me. There's, uh, every time I read it, like my, my heart kind of leaps. It, it, it longs for, for this. But then I got to thinking one, one of the mornings about, well, what does this phrase even actually mean? And so I'm not sure if all the Psalms that, that say this, if they're all attributed to, to King David specifically or not. But in thinking about his experience, he was often engaged in war. And so as such, he would be holed up in, in caves, hiding from his enemies. Or perhaps he'd be behind fortified city walls. Even if he was perhaps on a, on a plane, you know, out in a broad, flat piece of land, he was probably there surrounded by, if not enemy forces, at least by just his own men. And so this, this sense of God bringing David to a spacious place speaks, I think, to the sense of, of peace, and of safety. He's not trapped or constrained, but instead there's just openness and, and freedom around him. And so then I got to thinking about how that applies to, to people like us today, because typically we are not leading armies in, into war. Some might, but, but typically that, that, that is not our, the role that we have. And, and so I got to thinking that there's the reality that, that suffering and hardship can actually really close us in on ourselves, that, that our worlds become small as we become all consumed by, by what we are experiencing. And so again, for God to then bring us to a broad place means that our, our world is opened up and expanded again, that there's capacity to look beyond ourselves and to see good and to see opportunity. There's the sense of peace and safety and openness and freedom of not being constrained or limited by our experience. And so what the Psalms show us is that in the midst of difficulty, 
even in the midst of difficulty, that our steady faith in the steadfast faithfulness of God can enable us to be in a spacious place, even as our world around us closes in. Maybe it's about where we look, about where, where our, our focus is. Because when we look down you know, and we're just being bowed over by our experiences that, and we look at just what's within our, within our hands to, to affect the situation, the view is very limited. I, I, there's only, I, can, I can see maybe that the front row there, but you know, I, I can't see much. But when we look up, when we keep our eyes above the waves, when we look beyond ourselves to the God that we trust in, then we have a much more expansive view of things. And so though it doesn't directly refer to, to broad or, or spacious places, I think our psalm for today, Psalm 30, reflects this experience. So let's have a read of it together and then we'll, we'll dive in to look at it more closely. So if you've got it, Psalm 30 is what we're looking at. And it's a psalm, uh, a song for the dedication of the temple, and it's by David. And it says, I will exalt you, Lord. For you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. So sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, for your word, and we thank you for this word that we have just read together. And I pray that as we look at it together now, that we would have the ears to hear what you are saying to us, that we would hear this not as just, you know, some ancient song, but that we'd see where in it and through it you are speaking to us and where we, you know, where it echoes our cries and our responses to you as well. May your word and this psalm lead us into deeper intimacy and closeness to you as we experience your goodness and your presence in and through all things. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Beck has already read for us, the psalm starts with this, this call, or, well, this response of praise from the psalmist, where he says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and you did not let my enemies gloat over me. Now, if we're in the depths, if we're stuck down in a hole, then, then we're, we're constrained and we're limited and there's not much vision beyond what is immediately in front of us. But the psalmist says that God raised him up out of the hole. And the imagery is specifically that of, of raising a bucket up out of a well. And as a result, because he's been lifted out of that place, he praises God for lifting him from the depths. 
And as we think about intimacy with God, I think this is not something that we can, should just skim over, but should pay attention to straight up. It's a fair thing for us to not take the graciousness and the goodness of God when he shows it to us, not to take that for granted. Um, I was in a bit of a mood the other weekend. I know it's shocking, but I was. And um, I'd spent, you know, however long in the kitchen at lunch getting, you know, reheating or preparing or, or whatever it was, whatever the, the meal was for, for the kids. You know, and so there was this staggered lunch as this was ready and for you and then this was ready for you and, and whatever. And then they all disappeared and then finally I, I got to, to my lunch. I'm quite the martyr, I realise, but... Um, <laughs> or a saint, either one, uh, I'm not sure. No, neither. Well, exactly as this story will prove. <laughs> So finally I got to my own lunch and I, you know, in a very mature parental move, I just muttered to myself, thanks dad for getting me lunch. I really appreciate it. Here, here dad, let me clean up for you. The, the lack of gratitude and response from other members of the family put a distance between us, at least, at least from my end, that they were probably oblivious. Now, I recognise that, that God, God is far more mature than I am. Um, but it's still fair to say that when God has done good for us, then we should. Like, like it, it's right and appropriate and, and necessary even for us to express our, our thanks and our praise to him rather than create a distance by our, our lack of gratitude, if you like. And, and that's then exactly what David does here. He had called to God for help and got healed. He, he was so sick that, that basically he had one foot in the grave. And yet even from there, God was able to still bring him up and spare him. And so his response to all this is, I will exalt you, Lord. He exalts the Lord, his God, for what he has done for him. And then he, he calls others to do so as, as well. Now, David praises God because of what, because of what God has done for him. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. But as he calls then to God's faithful people in verse 4, as he calls God's faithful people to sing God's praises, it changes. And it's not so much about what God has done, but about who God is. While David's specific experience was particular to him, the character of God that is behind that action is the same for all of his people. And so collectively, we're called to praise God. For, in verse 5, his, an his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favour lasts for a, a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And again, we have here th this idea of perspective about where, where we're looking and how we're looking at the situation. Because David compares God's anger to just a moment, but his favour to a lifetime. It's like when God revealed his name to Moses uh, saying that he would punish sin to the third and fourth generation, which makes, oh, gee, that, that's pretty serious and, and substantial. But then that he would show his love and his favour to thousands of generations. When our world becomes small, when we're stuck in the pit, God's anger, his absence, his judgment, whatever it is, it seems all-consuming to us. But it's a moment, the psalmist says. It's a blip on the radar comparative to his ongoing and everlasting favour. That's not to make light of the experience, not, not at all. That's not the intent here. But it's about the perspective that we go through that experience with. 
As Paul will write to the Corinthians, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the psalmist then is calling us to lift our eyes from beyond our immediate experience, from from what is seen, and to look again to God and to his character, to what is unseen. And therefore, we do not lose heart. Our experiences may not make sense, and we may never be able to reconcile for ourselves how or why God lets them happen. I think that's just the reality of, of life. But in the midst of them, we need to remind ourselves and to hold on to the fact that God is good, that he's never failed and he won't start now, as we've sung, and to hold on to our faith in him by knowing who he is and and what he's like. The issue issue is not about God. The issue is about where we are looking, what what we are letting to fill our perspective. So we can... Because we can take our eyes off God in the midst of adversity and, and become all-consumed by that. But it's also true to say, and this might be you know, more typically true of us, we can take our eyes off God in the midst of prosperity and abundance as well. So the psalmist says, When I felt secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. Now notice the difference between verse 1 and verse 6 that I just read. Verse 1 says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. But then verse 7, it says, "When, When I felt secure, I said that I will never be shaken. Yes, in verse 7, absolutely God is referenced again because the blessing has come from God and that's recognized, absolutely. But... His stability comes from his own mountain standing firm, not from the God who is his rock. The eyes of faith are not lifted to God, but but they're lowered onto himself here. I felt secure and I said, I'll never be shaken. And so the psalmist recognises that actually his, the suffering and the hardship that comes, that's actually a grace of God at work in his life. Because he says, when you hid your face, I was dismayed. And it prompted him to seek God again. In his prosperity and his well-being, he didn't need to look to God. God was a given, but he was not someone who he really needed to call on and cry out to. His, his mountain was firm. He was good. But in his sickness to the point of death, in the sense of the hiddenness of God, he realized that, man, I need God. I need God in and through all things. And I need to keep putting my faith and my trust in him. And so this one who would never be shaken, well, he now was. And in that shakenness, he pursued God again, calling out to him with a cry for God's mercy upon him. Think about it like this. I've got two chairs up here. And here we have a good, new, solid, sturdy, reliable, trustworthy, faithful good solid chair. You're all sitting on one. And I can sit on this chair without thinking. I just do it. 
and you probably didn't think about it at all as you came and you picked your seat. And this is so often us with God when, when things are good. Because when we experience his favour, we can, know, we almost forget about him. We just take him for granted. Our life doesn't require much faith because our mountain's firm and our chair is sturdy. But I also have, you can already see some of it, can you? A broken, rickety, um, sketchy looking chair. Um, I don't know if you can see that the seat is in like three pieces. There's, there's a good wobble on it. We're, we're broken. Now, sitting on this chair requires some faith, doesn't it? And I am hoping it doesn't fall apart because wrecks the whole illustration. But uh, it takes faith to sit on such a, a dodgy chair. And the psalmist seems to suggest that God gives us rickety chairs and he gives us wobbly mountains, not as a punishment to us, but as an invitation and as a call to draw us back to himself, to lift our eyes again, you know, to not just take him for granted, but to lift our eyes and to look to him again, to look to him for the mercy and the help that we need. We didn't need mercy and help on this chair, but on this one, man, we're praying hard that it stays together. So sometimes God gives us wobbly chairs to draw us back to himself, to lift our eyes. Where does my help come from? I lift my eyes up. Um, where, does, yeah, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When we don't need help, we don't need God. When our mountain or, or when our chair is firm, we don't need faith. So the psalmist suggests that it is actually a mercy and a grace of God that he shows us when he calls us back to him and back to seeking his face because we're in a situation of dismay. Because then God's desire, his desire is for us. He wants relationship and he wants intimacy with us and for us to want that with him. And God's desire for us to be in relationship with him, this is a, a greater desire and a greater good for us than even just our immediate material comfort and, and well-being. And so then the, the psalm ends, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, I will praise you forever. It was suffering, it was hardship that called him back to God. And now it's then being again in a place of well-being that prompts him to continue with God, to praise him forever, to keep his eyes on him and to enjoy ongoing and growing intimacy with him. The, the intimacy that, that God wanted for him, the intimacy that he had drifted away from and that God called him back to now. I, um, I deliberately picked this psalm for the Sunday after Easter because I think, too, it also reflects our experience you know, post-Easter. Post See, each of us, we were going down to the realm of the dead. For the wages of sin is death. And we're all sinners. You don't need me to tell you that. You know that. However good you might be, deep down you know that. 
But Jesus died for our sin. And then in his resurrection, we are given his life. And so in Jesus, we truly will never be shaken. In Jesus, God always hears our cries. And in Jesus, we've been brought out of the well, brought out of the hole that we're in. We've been lifted up out of that and then brought into a broad and a spacious place with him. That our hearts may sing his praises and not be silent. And so, Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Church, let's pray. God, I thank you that your great desire is for us. It's, it's actually incredible and boggling to, to think about that you desire us and you desire a relationship with us and you will do anything and everything to make that possible. We saw that last week as we remembered the events of Easter where Jesus, you died on that cross to bear our sins, take its punishment. But you didn't stay dead. Instead, you, you rose again to eternal life to give us your life that we could have eternity with you and have been, be transformed from being enemies to family and, and friends. In Jesus, God, you have done everything to draw us to relationship with you. But we drift. We look away. We forget you. We become self-complacent. We become self-reliant. And so... Even there, you don't just leave us, but instead, as you did in the garden, even all those years ago with Adam and Eve, yet you pursue us, yet you come looking and you call us back to yourself. You give us rickety chairs, you give us wobbly mountains. And I want to pray for those here today who are in that experience, because it's not fun. It's, it's hard, it's difficult, it's confusing, it's bewildering. But in it and through it, God, may they hear yet your invitation for them to look to you and to walk with you and to know you in and through all things. To know that your heart is for them, that you love them, that you are good and that even this somehow is for your greater good for them. For those of us who have a firm mountain, and a sturdy chair. May we not become complacent, but instead still look to you and give you thanks and realize that all that we have comes from you and your, your favor towards us. We don't deserve it, and yet you lavish it on us in your love. And so may we come to you in, in response, in gratitude, in, in appreciation, in praise, in exaltation, that in and through all things, as this psalm has shown us, that we would look to you and walk to you, walk with you and know and know you and be in relationship with you, deepening our, our intimacy with you as we walk in faith and trust. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus who's made it all possible for us. We pray, amen. <laughs>